0: First on the list is SBC, that's Subband Codec for Bluetooth Audio Output. It's a low-complexity audio codec used in the Advanced Audio Distribution Profile, that's A2DP, which is a Bluetooth standard. It can be used elsewhere, but that's what it's included here for. Uh, it uses four or eight subbands and adaptive bit allocation algorithm and adaptive block PCM quantizers. I don't know what half of that means, I vaguely know what most of it means. I don't really know. Couldn't explain it. And, um, so I guess I don't know. And, um, it's for Bluetooth audio output, so it's, it is not intended to, it's, it's intended to be fast to, to, to get through. Um, because Bluetooth is a miserable specification. It really is. I, I can't stand Bluetooth. I never, ever want Bluetooth in any scenario, except, I guess I do, because I use it, uh, to listen to podcasts lately. I've got, like, these headphones that are Bluetooth because every time I was plugging in wired headphones, they- they kept breaking, uh, the- the connection, like, the- the- the the 35 millimeter or 3.5 millimeter, uh, um, plug, which is, what, an eighth-inch now, right? Yeah, eighth-inch plug. Uh, it's weird that I've switched over to calling those in metric that's weird um so the eighth inch um audio plug it just keeps breaking or sometimes in the worst case scenario it it... It actually damages the port I'm plugging it into, and that's mainly because I have the the device in a pocket while I'm you know I'm walking around listening to this thing. So anyway, Bluetooth does at least help me get around breaking cable connections, and like I say, the worst case, the the output thing, but um, the the port. But really, I do not love Bluetooth. I find it very. Um, I just find the whole process unfriendly, unreliable. There are still devices that that say that that. they have Bluetooth, and for whatever reason, I just can't get a Bluetooth thing to connect to them. It's just, it's just a miserable specification. I really don't like it. And I wish we had something better. Like anything, anything better than Bluetooth. Um, audio over Wi-Fi? I don't know, like, hyper-local Wi-Fi? Which, I mean, really is what Bluetooth should be. Like, in theory, I like Bluetooth. I think it's, it's in theory, a really cool specification. It's like that personal network, like in Shadowrun or something. But it, it's just, it doesn't work. It's not reliable. It's slow. You would not want to uh, count on it for anything, really. So, I don't. But that's what that is. SBC is the codec required for Bluetooth uh, audio output. and and the key, again, to Bluetooth is to keep things small and 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 fast. I mean, it's because it needs to... Maybe Bluetooth is very, very slow. So, the data you're sending through it needs to be really basic. And that's what SBC aims to do. Uh, why SBC and not, um, I don't know, uh, what was it, Keltex? No, uh, Keltex? No, that was the screenwriting... Speaks. Let's just say speaks. Why that? I don't know. Probably a different process. Um, sdl is next simple direct media simple direct media so direct media is all one string simple direct media layer sdl library this i think we've talked about like the sdl graphics the sdl this the sdl that this is the simple direct media layer, a generic API that provides low-level access to your audio, to keyboard, mouse, joystick, 3D hardware, through OpenGL, now Vulkan, and 2D frame buffer across multiple platforms. Um, SDL is just kind of, it's a big deal. It, it, it's... It is such an important multimedia library for, just, j- just for those experiments that you're doing with, like, you know, you're programming a game or something and you, you just want to monitor for keyboard events. SDL is there and can just talk to your keyboard. It is so simple and so, so, it is so pleasant to use. It is a really amazing library. Um, it is, it is, it, it's, it it is a... You know, a framework, um, a set of libraries that that's there for you, so that you don't have to figure out where those signals are coming from. You don't need to care about how the how what to monitor for based on an operating system. All you do is call SDL and it has already done all of that because it's been compiled for that operating system. So it's got all the information you need. It'll, it's, it's got the signals you're listening for. It can send the signals you want to send. It's, it's, it's an important, important library. It's probably one of the, possibly the single most sort of impactful library for um, those early days of porting games to Linux. If you uh, listen to talks by Iculus, uh what's his real name, Ryan Gordon, I think, uh, then you'll, you'll know that he uses, or used at least, I don't know what he uses now, but I mean, for the longest time, it was all SDL based. That was the way that you get the game to run on Linux. It's not a magic process, you don't just like swap out uh, DirectX or whatever Windows uses, I think it's DirectX, uh, with SDL and suddenly things work. But, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that you would need to look to if someone has hired you to take this game, make it run on Linux. You're, you're looking at SDL. I mean, unless you look elsewhere, which you can do, but SDL is just kind of like, it's the low level, like, here's the access that you need, it'll, you can do all of the things, you know, you can draw graphics, you can, monitor and send keyboard or, or uh, gamepad events and so on, and sounds and all that other good stuff. So SDL, very important. Uh, Surf S-E-R-F, it's a high-performance, asynchronous HTTP client library. Um, this is a C-based library uh, built upon the Apache Portable Runtime library, so it can help you if you're writing a C application, Uh, it'll help you ingest and process data over HTTP um, so if you were uh, I, I keep thinking oh you'd be writing a web browser but you wouldn't be really but let, let's say you wanted to you know you want to interface with something that communicates over HTTP Apache surf is is a way to get that into your C, C code uh, w- without writing it yourself so it'll it'll handle obviously the HTTP data itself but it also knows about SSL TLS it knows about Kerberos. It knows about, um, actually, I don't know that it knows about DAV, web DAV, and that sort of thing. It may not do that natively. Let's look really quick. If I do a most on var log packages slash surf, can we determine, no, it's, there's not a whole lot here to, to, to give me a hint about what it, what it handles. I was, I was hoping for, like, um, a, But, well, there is a header file, obviously. I guess I could look at that really quick. I was looking for, like, sort of, a bunch of obviously named header files. Um... Yeah, I don't think it has anything for web dev. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it doesn't have anything on web dev. Um, so that's, that's surf. You can talk to the internet, um in your in your code thanks to surf and, and that would be important too for for things like uh you know get hot new stuff from from kde or whatever they're calling it these days where you've you've written something into your application to interface with the internet like an in inkscape actually inkscape if you've ever used it um, or whether or not you've ever used it you may or may not know about this, um, you can sometimes import a a graphic from the internet by just giving it, uh, you know, you you go to File, Import, Graphic from Internet, or something like that, um, and, and you can navigate sort of around and, and find, like, an SVG on, on one of the usual SVG provider sites, and just import that straight into, to Inkscape, which saves you a couple of clicks, otherwise you'd have to go to the website, you'd have to find the thing, you'd have to download it and save it onto your hard drive and then go back over to Inkscape and then import or open that in, you know, so it, it's just, it's I guess almost less about clicks and more about just staying in the application you're in. And and I don't know that that used Surf by any means, uh, but that's the kind of interaction you might use Surf for, where you're, you're sort of the user doesn't think of themselves as being online during this transaction, but you're actually talking to the network. SG3 utils, that's Utilities and Test Programs for the Linux Sg driver. So, so the Sg driver is the thing that handles SCSI commands to to various devices. SCSI SCSI is an old-fashioned interface that that was sort of concurrent in, in time with serial ports and parallel ports. Well, SCSI was the other one, and it was quite a lot faster. Um, and people got really excited about it because it was fast um, for for the time. It, it it does actually get used. in in more than you might imagine, uh, because, yeah, sure, SCSI, yeah, th- you know, that would have started, it been really popular for hard drives, because that's where that, that's where you really need that bandwidth. But, so, so, SCSI, the SCSI, like, commands and, and the, the protocol is, you know, used in part for, like, common devices like USB drives. Um, Uh, a tappy devices that's like a cd drive or a dvd drive or a tape drive if you happen to have one of those, uh, but even like Fibre Channel, uh, IEEE 1394, which I guess apparently uses something called an SVP protocol. Don't know what that means, but uh, SAS, I scuzzy, kind of obviously, FCoE. Don't know what that is. I'm just reading this off of the uh, Slackware package description. But the SG driver itself was developed for Linux for the Linux kernel back in 2.4 days. It's been you know upgraded and kept kept along for the ride um and it it works as well for other other Linux uh, other unix like systems uh, or Linux like um that'll make some people angry freebsd Solaris true 64 uh, and it works on Windows apparently I don't know why you would use that but I, maybe maybe there are no SCSI drivers on Windows I don't know uh so sg3 ut- utils has like over 50 utilities in it we can look at, well, I'm not gonna look at all of them, because I don't even know what I would do with these things. Um, what, what are we, what are we looking at? Uh, sg3 utils. Okay, so, yeah, there's a bunch of things in the package here. There's rescan scuzzy bus, there's scuzzy logging level, scuzzy mandat, uh, scuzzy read cap, scuzzy ready, scuzzy start, scuzzy stop, scuzzy temperature, and so on. So, I mean, there, yeah, there's a bunch of utilities there that um that you might i guess have an opportunity to use someday um if you were sort of debugging or or looking into scuzzy devices so for instance there is uh the scuzzy underscore temperature command type in scuzzy underscore temperature and then a path to a device slash dev let's do sdc and it returns uh in this case an error, because uh, there's an illegal request invalid opcode. So, I guess because this is an ATA, maybe, and not something else? I'm not sure why that would not work. Bad example, I guess. Um, oh, what about a USB drive? Because it did say... uh, No, doesn't... nothing seems to be working here. Of course, it could also be... here we go. No, no, it doesn't work. It could be that I need to do it with sudo. Uh, no. That just doesn't work. All right, that's not a problem. I'm either using it incorrectly or it's just not using the thing that I think it's, you know, that it doesn't have access to it because it's not using all of the things that it needs to be using. Uh, let's see, SG sync. Don't want to do that. SG verify. Let's do an SG, or SG info is even better. Uh, SG info, uh, ooh, options, device. Okay, well let's do that. SG info on SDC. Uh, it says device type is zero, vendor ATA, product is whatever, revision level CC26. Yeah, so there was some info about a drive, right? I mean that's somewhat useful, I guess. Yeah, so it's it's reporting on the devices that exist, uh, but what it's telling me and whether I care is beyond me. So obviously I don't know what I'm doing here with the SG uh, commands there are as it says over 50 utilities so if you're if you're looking into debugging scuzzy or writing something that you know for some reason uh needs to send a, a specific scuzzy command to some device then then that would be the thing to use the sg driver or the sg3 underscore utils specifically next up is an, an, an interesting nipomuk project and nipomuk for me uh, sort of brings back memories of the opening ceremonies for KDE4 that was uh, held at the Google um, the Google headquarters in in wherever in California and I I was able to attend that and it was It was really fascinating, met lots of people there and was just in amongst the, well, obviously the KDE community. It was very exciting at the time. Uh, And I look back at it just sort of starry-eyed that I was even there. I mean, I I forget, I think I got in because, I mean, there was kind of an open invitation. But I, I had emailed and said, hey, I'm a podcaster, I'd love to go and... Do interviews? And I did, I, I think. Did I do interviews? Or maybe not. Um, but I, I definitely reported on the event, as it were. And, uh, and it's in the archive somewhere. There's there's some chatter about it in, in an old show. But, um, th- there was talk then about Nepomuk, and this, this concept of a, well, certainly a semantic desktop is what, well, it was specifically a social semantic desktop. This was, um, if you go to semanticdesktop.org, you can read more about it, or Nepomuk.semanticdesktop.org specifically to get more information about nipomuck Um, and, and the, I, see, and this is, this is where I kind of, I struggle, because I feel like they have a lot of very exciting ideas, and none of them describe anything specific. It's very, very difficult to for, at least for me, from reading the information on their website, um, I can't quite divine what exactly they're, sub- they're they're describing. I mean, I can broadly, and, and that is that like their their idea is for people in a group, users, users in a group, to you know, users in a group have knowledge, right? You 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 develop knowledge about what you're doing just by doing it, and the problem is that that a user over here on the left side of the office discovers something cool and is doing it and is speeding up their workflow and a, a user over here on the right side of the office hasn't found that trick yet and is doing everything the old way. How do you get those two people to... to, to How do you get the left person to understand the right person's need, and then how do you get the knowledge from the left to the right? And and that's, you know, and that multiplies the more people you have using an application. And so Nepomuk is attempting to, the, the semantic desktop concept is that somehow you would have users with knowledge and they'd be able to share all of that knowledge with one another through structured means that the computer could also understand. The most uh the, the most succinct description of what they're after I- appears on one of their flyers and it says Nipamuk's solution is called well here I guess I should read the problem statement first, right? Nipamuk um the personal desktop to to develop a comprehensive solution for extending the personal desktop into a collaboration environment which supports both personal information management and the sharing across sh- social or organizational relationships so their solution is called the social semantic desktop the new desktop is one semantic it makes knowledge a accept- uh, uh, processable sorry so one semantics it makes knowledge processable by a computer. Two, social. It supports the interconnection and exchange with other desktops and their users. That's what they want. But again, I'm having a hard time finding anywhere on their website what that means. Like, what, like, you know what I mean? Like, I hear what it means, but like, what does that, what do I click on? Where, where do I experience this? And the closest thing I can find from their website is A lot of talk about wikis, like they're really into wikis, really excited about wikis. I mean, I am too, wikis are great, but I mean, they're not the... the, That's not the social semantic desktop, right? I mean, that's, that's a wiki. So anyway, if you look in the package, I mean, you always just gotta look at the package, right? Look at the package. And there's a bunch of .dot uh, ontology and .dot trig files. The .dot trig files are sort of, I, I think, sort of basically data types, um, and with with lots of comments, so you can kind of gather what they are. Like defines the default static namespace abbreviation for a graph. Defines a name for a free desktop icon as defined by the free desktop icon naming uh, convention. I guess it's off the screen. Uh, and I don't want to scroll over. Uh, a marker property to mark selected properties, which are input to a mathematical equation, defines a relationship between two resources where the subject is a topic of the object. Defines a relationship between a resource and one or more subresources. Description of subresources are only inter-interpretable uh, when the super resource exists. Deleting a super resource should then also delete all subresources. A transferring, yeah, okay. So, it goes on and on like that, and there's a bunch of those files. Where those are getting used, I I don't exactly know, but I, I imagine they're being used by the Plasma desktop to classify specific kinds of resources. And I guess that's good. Um, does, is it showing up right now? Is like this something that I'm using and I don't realize? Like, is, is... Is that what's happening? I I really don't know. It's it's really difficult to wrap my mind around what exactly is going on. Now, I do know that if I right-click on something in the Plasma desktop, I do have a share menu, which I love. I use that a lot to send stuff to my device over KDE Connect, but you can also send it via Bluetooth, you can send it via email, to Imgur, various places. You can assign tags you can uh i guess look at tags at some point again i don't really know how that works and i mean that's that's the metadata problem that i keep talking about it's very difficult to manage metadata it's very difficult to actually get any return on your investment in metadata it's very unclear how metadata affects your environment I I feel like this 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 idea this concept is is if if nothing else it is it is looking at a problem that we all know exists We know this is a problem. We know that the search engines on the internet are not very useful these days. We know that, all, but we don't know where else to go, right? Like, that's we don't know how else to get around the internet other than these broken search engines that are biased towards the highest paid advertiser and then biased towards stupid search engine optimization, um, magical combinations that no one really understands, um, but that yet manages to to optimize and prioritize stuff that is just incomprehensible. Um uh, we've got artificial intelligence engines that are that that people are using just to answer the question or you know just to get around the problem of there's too much information out there, none of it makes sense to me, none of it works. Please find the one that's correct or that looks correct and then tell me it's correct. You know, I mean It's, it's, there's such a problem, and yet we don't, I don't, I don't see the answer yet. Which, because it's a big problem, I don't think it's, like, it's a, it's a tough problem to solve. So, Nipamuk trying to come up with a way to classify information, to categorize it, and to make it make sense to the computer is, is really admirable. And and to be able to make it easy and comprehensible for people to utilize and to classify things and to, to contextualize things and to share stuff across devices and across desktops and across whatever. I, I think it's a it's a great initiative. Uh, and and I don't know. I, I I guess we'll see how it goes. I don't know how active it is right now. Like, I go to the Digital Me website, and that doesn't seem to really exist anymore. It's uh, dime-project.eu, just doesn't come up, and and that was a, a... component of sort of like the realization that it's not really just a desktop anymore it's not just a social semantic desktop it's a social semantic digital life so i don't know where all of this stuff is i can't get a good feel for it from the website it's fascinating to look at and to dream about and maybe to to hope uh, uh, for some some progress on but right now it 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 does seem to be exactly what's in the package. A collection of ontologies. Next up, shared mime info. This information has the combination of GNOME and KDE databases that describe what kind of data your data is. We've talked about this before, MIME data, or, or MIME, the MIME system, multi-purpose, internet, mail extension, MIME. So, files have a MIME type. This was, I guess, developed for email. But it's it's used, you know, on the desktop today, and it helps your computer determine what kind of file something might be based on various things. Different systems do it differently, and also different, I think, uh, file types kind of demand different uh, analyses, but there's either a cookie at the start of the file that tells anything reading those first couple of bytes what kind of file it is or there's a file extension which is often manually typed by the user and not terribly reliable for that reason but if you call something uh my then that file may get one kind of icon, whereas if you call it a .mp4, it'll get a different kind of a file, a different kind of icon on your desktop. Whether or not that controls how your desktop actually sees it or treats it depends, again, on the desktop. It's really just kind of, the MIME itself, the, the MIME type system itself is simply a database uh, telling your computer what these file extensions refer to in terms of of desktop icons and what application ought to attempt to open that file. How all of that is actually handled, of course, goes deeper than just the database itself. Shared MIME info is a database, it is a database of file types from both GNOME and Plasma desktop. And I think with that, it's probably time for a cup of coffee. Let's go get some and we'll come back and finish up the show. <laughs> Back! I have coffee from a, uh, sort of a big bin store, a dry goods store, where you bring your own container, fill it up. This is not the one, from my, that's not, not my usual big bin store, this is from a different one in a city called Invercargill, which, uh, is, like, if you go there, you get to, basically everywhere you go, you get to say you're in the southernmost one of those. So, for instance, I went to uh, to grab a bite to eat at a place called Burger Fuel, which has vegetarian burgers, which is why I went there. And um, I think it's a chain, at least within New Zealand. I'm not sure if it's anywhere else, but it's maybe in Australia too, I don't know. Or maybe the whole world, I don't know. I just It was a place that was open at the time I needed food. I went there, and so now I can declare truthfully to the whole world, unless there's one in Antarctica that I don't know about, that I've been to the southernmost Burger Fuel. I went to a cafe uh, which I don't remember the name of and I can now say that I've been to the southernmost one of those cafes If I could remember the name that would be a little bit more significant and so on. So this coffee is from the southernmost um, Dry goods store probably unless there's one in Antarctica. So it is called I think it was just labeled Brazil. That's what the coffee is called. I guess just Brazil and, I'm assuming it's from Brazil, I don't know. It was just in a, a glass jar and I literally took the entire glass jar, dumped it into my container. Cause I get, I, I try to get like a kilo of coffee at, you know, at a time. And I didn't think, I don't think they really, I guess, expected that. Cause yeah, it was, it was it didn't even fill up my container, it wasn't even a full kilo. So, um, yeah, I got it, I'm drinking it, and it's okay. It's, it's I, I kind of like Crave, it's just kind of like, um, Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's coffee. Uh, I'm, it's, it is not anything super impressive. Let me see if, let me see if I can describe the flavor with all the wonderful words that English language provides for describing flavors. Tastes like coffee. Okay. So, next one in the list here is SIP, appropriately enough. Uh, SIP is a tool for generating Python bindings, and it is, th- this library is distributed by Riverbank Computing, which is the, um, the, the company, the group, whatever, that puts out, uh, PyQt, which are the Python bindings for Cute. I've used this quite a lot, it was, um, it was kind of that avenue when I was first, I mean, w- one is always learning programming i think but when i was first learning to navigate programming it was with python and i really you know for me for for my needs at that point it was really like about making graphical applications like that's what i really needed i as much as i enjoyed making my my little bash scripts and stuff i i i felt like my- the, the people that I could potentially serve by programming stuff really needed graphical applications, and PyCute is just amazing for this very purpose. In fact, I would say it's so amazing, I would hesitate to look elsewhere. Well, that's not true. I would also- I would look at Java first. But if that, for whatever reason, doesn't appeal to you, or if Java is too advanced for where you are, then Python, you know, is definitely an easy way in. PyCute, it does take it to a whole new level. That's the, that's the, that's the problem, right? So Python is great as an introductory language. It's also great as an advanced language. But those are almost two different languages. I mean, it's literally the same language. But at at a certain level, when you start doing certain things, then you you necessarily have to completely change what you think you knew and learn a whole bunch of new stuff. And I think that, that's a that's a difficult thing to communicate in Python. And it's difficult for the user, for you, if you're learning Python, it's difficult for you to know when you're ready sort of to go to the next level. And I, I don't feel like I don't feel like programmers necessarily talk about that difference all that often and, and it's it's. I think it's an important one to talk about because you can quote-unquote learn Python, but be nowhere near writing uh, I don't know a graphical application or a large language model parser or whatever you know like it, it's there There are just things that that Yes you've you've got all the basics and you've got maybe even the, all the intermediaries but or in- intermediates <laughs> rather um but but you're not advanced yet but but how do you know so pycute is great it's a great way to get graphical applications going with Python, but you do have to understand that once you cross over into that level of interaction with libraries, then you're you're dealing with a different style of programming. I mean, you really, really are. A, a graphical application itself, just, it, it's just written to be a different, it's written differently. The application doesn't, it needs to appear on the screen and then idle and wait for user interaction. Whereas most Python scripts, that people just write for, for 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 processing data the idea is not to idle get it done quickly and then and then return the user to the prompt and those are two drastically different modes of kind of conceptualizing and and it's difficult to understand that without being having that explained to you and sort of having that identified early on. It's almost to the point that I, I, I almost think that that GUI application programming should be maybe earlier in the typical Python lesson. I could be wrong on that. It, it's a tough, it is a tough topic to tackle. Um, so that's SIP and, and that's included in Slackware, so if you want to start programming with, like, PyCute stuff today, you can do that. Like, that is on your computer right now. Uh, on Slackware, anyway, <laughs> I don't know what computer you're on, but, I mean, on if you're on Slackware, it's there. For instance, emacs, hello.py, or, or whatever your text editor is, doesn't have to be emacs. import sys, import sys. from pycute5.cutewidgets, that's qt widgets uh, with capital q capital w import q application q widget q label so those are the those are little components of Qt widgets there's the application widget there's the uh, there's the label widget and so on The application is less a widget than than to the, the whole package but anyway uh, from PyQt5.QtGUI, import cute q, uh, q, q icon That'll give us an icon. Oops. That'll give us an icon. Uh, from pyqt5qt cute cute core, import pi cute slot. Slots and signals is what Qt uses to relay information from you to the application, and from the application to you, and from the application to the application. Alright, so we're gonna define uh, a thing, and we'll call it window. def, space, window, parentheses, parentheses, colon, and then indent app equals q application parentheses sys.argv close parentheses. This is the way that you get um, system arguments into your application, but you're also creating an application. You're saying, uh, create an, a variable from me right now called app, and we're going to, as a template, as it were, we're going to use everything from q application. So just take whatever queue applica- queue, yeah q application and whatever system arguments the user has provided, and dump them into app. Then next line, still indented, widget equals q widget parentheses parentheses. Next line, text label equals q label parentheses widget close parentheses. So we're saying that we want a widget in our application and the widget that we want. Or or rather what we want to do with that widget is to put a is to, to create a q label, which is one of the components from pyqt 5qtwidget widget. Text label dot set text, so now we're we're using that QLabel label entity called text label, which we created. It's a variable. What's the variable contain? Well it contains the template of QLabel, label, which we're applying to widget. Uh text label dot set text, so now we're using a function called set text from the the class QLabel. label. Parentheses, quote Hello world. Close quote. Close parentheses. Text label dot move. So move is another function from QLabel. We get to position this. Uh, let's put it at 66 66. I don't know where that'll be within this window, but that's where it's going. Widget dot set geometry. Uh Let's do I don't know 66 comma 66 comma. 200 comma 200 that's a lot of squares but i sounds right to me uh close parentheses widget dot so again widget being the q widget widget dot set window title my pi cute example close quote close parentheses and then because this is programming you have to do a widget dot show parentheses parentheses i mean you know like say it's because it's programming like you'd think that that would just be assumed right like in the future in a future world where computers understand what you mean instead of exactly what you say this would be different sys.exit so this is um if something happens then we're gonna exit so that's uh, sys.exit parentheses app.exec underscore parentheses, parentheses parentheses close parentheses so this is this is Tapping. This is a great example, actually, of how these frameworks make make something that seems simple exactly as simple as it seems. All this is saying is that, hey, if you receive an exit signal, then exit. But in other applications, you literally have to write a function where you're, like, listening for all the different ways a user might exit. Whether it's going to a menu that you've created, and selecting exit or just clicking on that little X button at the top right of their window or the top left of their window wherever they have their close window button located and, and clicking that. And of course, you didn't create that. That's a component of the operating system. And I mean, who knows what the operating system is sending when they, you when you click an X at the top of the window. like. What kind of signal is that? I don't know. I wouldn't know how to look for that on Linux, much less Mac, much less Windows. You don't have to. Cute knows it already. So that's, that's a beautiful, like the fact that that's a one-liner, which I mean, Admittedly, it makes no sense. Set a a sys.exit app exec underscore. That's stupid. I hate it. It's dumb. But the fact that it is that simple, I mean, you'll never under, you'll never remember that. You'll never know that. You you, you just have to find out what the magic incantation is. I I cannot stand code like that. That's my least favorite kind of code. Sys.exit uh, parentheses app dot exact underscore parentheses parentheses parentheses. Ah, oh, it's terrible, but there it is. It is simple. If space uh, and this is unindented now. So if space underscore underscore name underscore underscore equals equals clo- a single quote underscore underscore main underscore underscore, underscore close uh, close single parentheses colon. That's my other least favorite line, I think. This, that, that is my least favorite incantation in all of Python, I think. If, underscore, underscore, name, underscore, underscore, space, equals, equals, space, quote, underscore, underscore, main, underscore, underscore, quote, colon, I hate that. That's the stupidest line. I wish they would change it. I know that it has meaning, but it is so obscure, like, to understand what that's actually saying. I just, I wish... They would just rewrite that in something that feels more, to me, more Pythonic. I'm sure to to the people who are actually building Python, this is very Pythonic, like this probably Makes exact sense, but for me, from from understanding it on a user level or trying to explain it to someone, that just doesn't mean anything. That's not a statement that has meaning. But I, I get it. It's it's just it's different audiences, different requirements. Um, and then indent window parentheses parentheses. Now, what is window? Well, that's the function that we created def window. That that's that. So all we're saying is, as long as this has been um, executed as a as a as an application and not being imported as a library than then just default to launching that function. Okay, so I save that, and now I'm going to python3 space dot slash hello dot pi, and sure enough, I get a window that's a little bit boxy, with the word hello world right dead center in the window. What what happens if I make it big? No, it doesn't. It, it's not very flexible. I mean, the, the window, you can make it big, but hello world just kind of stays exactly where it is. Um, And there's my cute example, and it's, it's a little window that looks exactly like, and there's an icon in the window. I mean it it's it's everything it's a GUI application and what was that something like wc- uh l hello python 19 lines of code you get a GUI application I mean a simple GUI application but I mean that's that's really easy to generate so really cool stuff check it out pycute and sip is the technology that that helps translate all those cute um functions and classes over to python and it does have to be installed for pycute to to work i mean that's another thing about pycute not only is it a a whole new level of python programming if you're beginning at python but it's also a whole new level of packaging stuff up. I mean, you have to make sure that your users running your, you know, really simple, wonderful PyQt application has SIP installed and PyQt installed and PyQt needs cute installed. So you need all those things. It's a lot, it's a lot and your application. So it, it's it's a big puzzle to, put together. Okay, next up is Slang, or Slang. That is the, um, Slang interpreter, this being version 2 specifically. Slang is the programming language, uh, developed by and probably for, um, Jed. Jed, the the editor, Jed, Uh, this is John E. Davis, J-E-D, Jed. If you go to jedsoft.org slash slang, or slang, he explains it this way, Slang is a multi-platform programmer's library designed to allow a developer to create robust multi-platform software. It provides facilities required by interactive applications, such as display screen management, keyboard input, key maps, and so on. The most exciting feature of the library, though, is the Slang interpreter that may be easily embedded into a program to make it extensible. While the emphasis has always been on embedded nature of the interpreter, it's also uh, it can be used as a as a standalone through slsh, which indeed is um, included with with this package. So if you type in slsh at you know in a terminal then then you're in and you're you're in an interpreter you're like a uh, what do they call the repl sort of i mean i don't know if that's literally what it is but like you know python idle that sort of thing that's what you've got you've got an interactive sort of session with this this slang language now what can you do in this interactive session. That's a whole other story, right? I mean, if you go to jedsoft.org slash slang slash doc slash HTML, then you'll get the, the, the documentation for the language. So I guess if you want to learn S-Slang, then that's, that's the, that's where you would go to do that. Um, there are certain things that you can kind of, um, kind of figure out on your own in, in a way. Um, let me clear my screen. So if you do an Exclamation mark and then a sh- a bash uh, like a shell command, um, you bypass slsh, which is kind of uh, quite nice. So you know if you want an ls of your current directory, you just do exclamation point ls, and you get a you you get a list of your current directory. So everything it just passes right through to your shell. So that's kind of cool, but that's not that's more of that's more the shell than the language, I guess. So let's do an x equals three semicolon. There, now we've got x minus three. Um, how do we get this thing to print x? Well, as you might guess, it's print parentheses x close parentheses semicolon. All the lines have to end with a semicolon, so that's just kind of get used to that, uh, you can define a new function by doing define, d-e-f-i-n-e, doesn't abbreviate it, it's so nice, it's not def, it's just define, um, space, and then the name, and then parentheses, parentheses, and then whatever, uh, so that's kind of, oh, and not, not whatever, the curly brace, and then the func-, you know, whatever you put into that function, close curly brace, so it is quite nice, it uses curly braces to scope things out, which is wonderful, and, and it's got, you know, built-in, some built-in functions, uh, string concatenation, uh, string copy, various mathematical things. So, arrays, lots of arrays, lots of things you can do with arrays and lists and other complex structures uh, of that sort of nature. Um, I would say, like, if you know Lua or C or Java, and probably Python, um, And even bash in some cases. I mean, this doesn't, this doesn't, it's it's not, this is not going to confuse you. This is, this is vaguely obvious stuff. Like this, this feels like a normal programming language, whatever that would mean. So, yeah, check it out. It's, It's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know, you know, I've, I have not played around with it because, uh, I don't know what I would use it for. Really, that's that's the thing you know it it feels quite specific in its target, and I just I don't know what I would personally ever ever use it for. although if I switched to Jed, maybe I would use it for something. who knows, but um it, it is it's it's interesting, it's fun. it's cool that it has that little interactive interpreter. so I don't know, it is kind of worth looking at, I think. Um, but I mean, so is Lua, you know i I, I keep looking at it and I just think, yeah, I'll just use Lua like fair or unfair, I don't know. But, like, for, for my purposes, I guess, it just wouldn't make sense, I don't think, to use slang. I could be wrong, I could be missing out. Next up is Sound Theme Free Desktop. It's a bunch of sounds to make your desktop, uh, you know, have sounds to it. I think I've talked about this before. I don't know where that tradition comes from. It is a funny thing to me. I I never expected my desktops, I don't think, to make sounds. But it it just seems like it is kind of a Linux thing and i'm just wondering if that's a thing that they inherited from windows is that a thing on windows i don't know i really don't know but um generally speaking i i have most sounds turned off on on my desktop i mean i'll get notification sounds from like chat applications and things like that that i appreciate but like just clicking the menu button or something i i don't i don't need that to have a sound personally I, I don't I don't think it's bad that that's an option I just don't need it myself And speaking of making sounds the next one in the list is speech dispatcher this is a um, a, a layer f- f- this is a, a system by which your computer should be able to speak to, t- t- to talk to you it should be able to read uh, the the contents of your screen back to you. It needs to be running in order for that to work, but as far as I can tell, it is running by default on Slackware. Uh, You can find this out for sure by going to a terminal and typing in speech-dispatcher and uh, it confirms for me speech dispatcher already running. So this is running the speech-d or speech daemon. Um, speech-d is running, and that means that I could just type in spd-say, spd, speech, speech dispatcher, I guess, speech-say, s-a-y, And then something like, uh, can we do two words? Quote, hello, space world, close quote. Hello world. Yeah, we can do that. And you get that horrible grating computer sound that, you know, is charmingly retro and yet also embarrassingly retro. It it doesn't sound, doesn't sound like a modern computer. It doesn't sound natural by any means. It is speech synthesis in sort of like the most rudimentary way not saying that it's actually rudimentary I mean I, I don't know how to program something that literally generates speech from phonemes I mean that's amazing but um but it, it does it, it's you know I mean look if you're if you're talking to someone who's coming from a Mac that that has a, a voice that sounds like it may as well be a real-life human uh, living in your computer talking to you and then you you play them. Hello world. That um you're it's just a different experience. There's no there's no way around that. That is that is a very different experience than than the alternative, and I think that's a hard sell. Um, I do think that this is important to have, though. I just, I I just wish there were maybe, um, I I wish it was a little bit easier and maybe more out of the box to have that, um, with voices that, that don't sound completely, um, you know, like out of the 1970s or 80s. Or 90s, like something really, really natural sounding. I, I don't think that's. I think that's a reasonable request for someone who who can't see. I mean, the, the least we could do is is provide something that sounds natural and is easy to understand. I don't know. It's it's just it's it's a little bit painful, and it might be fine for like you know it. This this might be the terminal equivalent uh, of a pretty gooey. You know what I mean? Like. A lot of us Linux users, after a while, you just start to slowly lose sight of the GUI. You're just like, I don't actually care, as it turns out. I thought I did, but I don't. Because I'm I'm I, I find myself living in a terminal or a terminal and Emacs or whatever. And you just start to really, really lose sight of how of, of sort of what a GUI looks like. You just don't care anymore. And I think, you know, possibly for for a blind user, that might be the same thing. Like after a while, it's just like, look, what I want my computer to do is to speak fast, and uh, just it just needs to give me a sense for what, what's there. And that might be fine for some users, but there are other users who never lose sight of the GUI, right? Like, it has to look good. They're not gonna live in a terminal. They want the GUI. They want the GUI to look good, they want it to feel modern, etc. And I think there's just just as that exists, there are people who don't want their computer to sound like it was generated back in the 80s, that it's generating like natural speech and i think that's a perfectly acceptable requirement to have and i I just wish it was easier to get that here on linux now orca um the screen reading application orca supports speech d so that's in part what this would be used for i don't really know what it's being used for on slackware other than Speech D dash E L, which I don't even know if that is on Slackware, but you could install it in Emacs, uh, and then you could have like uh, your whole everything read to you from Emacs and your Emacs shell. Uh, it would be quite. a a usable sort of blind interface, as long as you're just interested in text. There's almost, There's rather, there's also Emacs Speak, but that's not the same thing, that's a different system. Um, Speech D being already installed on Slackware may be the easier thing to set up for a Slackware user, to be honest. So that's Speech Dispatcher. Let's talk quickly about Speaks, S-P-E-E-X. This is a codec. I used to release this show in Speaks, uh, in part in Speaks. It was AUG um, and Speaks, I think. And then Opus came out, and suddenly I didn't see the reason to ever, ever use Speaks again, and I don't, I do not hesitate to to reinforce that. That, that is, Speaks is, was, it was very low, low, like, low bitrate. Uh, the file sizes were very, very small, but it it did not sound crisp. It did not sound clear, whereas Opus can get really, really small files and sound amazing. So, it just doesn't make sense, I don't think, to go to Speaks for me. Now, it might still make sense for certain applications, uh, like Mumble or something like that, but for me, yeah, I'm, I'm just using Opus. It's perfectly acceptable and, and sounds great. So, um, I, I consider this show really the official release, I, I, I think of as the Opus release. Like, that's that's the one that's a small file, but it still sounds fine. Speaks never did music very well. Like, really, really did not do music well. Um, and then it, it just barely did the voice well. And I mean, I could have probably done a better version of, of a Speaks release, but then you're losing the file size advantage. Whereas Opus I feel like you get the small files and it sounds good. All right, next up is speaks DSP. That's a um DSP library which I uh, now that I'm about to say it out loud, I've completely forgotten what DSP stands for. My goodness. Digital um Digital signal prop processing, there we go. Digital signal pro- processing, it's a patent-free, open-source-free software, DSP library. Which essentially means that if you're a programmer and you're looking to encode something uh, as speaks from your application, you're probably going to be using this, speaks DSP. Alright, next up is SPIRV LLVM translator. That is, we've talked about LLVM, um, SPIRV or SPIR-V is a shading library developed by, or a shading language, I guess, or specification, maybe, uh, developed by the Kronos group. So, if you're doing 3D shaders, that kind of thing, you might be able to use SPIR dash. V And if you're doing that, then you might want to tie that into your compiler. Uh, And if it's LLVM, then this would be the thing that could translate those two things for you. It's bidirectional, so it'll go from LLVM to SPIRV and the other way around. So that's what you'll be using. Uh, Next up is Startup Notification. It adds support for applications to use busy cursors while starting up. Not much more to say about that. It, It does exactly what it says on the tin. Next up is SVGA lib, and this is a funny one. So it's it's not actually SVG. It's it's S. VGA, lib. The S, I think, stands for... What was it? Super? Secret? Super Secret? I don't know. Uh, whatever SVG... SVGA? Whatever that stands for is what the S stands for. Um, what what does it stand for? Uh, super. Super. Linux Super VGA Graphics Library. I don't know my VGA, SVGA. I, I never paid attention to that sort of thing back when I was using computers when, like, that was a thing. I mean, it still is a thing, but, you know, but you, you used to really have to know your, like, what kind of monitor is this? Is it a VGA monitor or a SVGA monitor or, you know, like that mattered and the refresh rates mattered and... and- and all of those other things. Now I don't know. So, anyway, Super VGA. Um, this is a way to write sort of directly to the screen without having to resort to fancy technologies like, you know, X11 or or Wayland. You can just write pixels to a frame buffer like they did with, S- with, with I guess, SVGA. Uh, I've, I've never, you know, I've never programmed for VGA. I don't know anything about it, but... Like, I guess that would be how they would have done it. So, uh, in your C code, you would use, uh, you would include vga.h, that's one of the header files included with this. And then you could do things, like you could tell your little application, like, what kind of vga monitor you're pretending you have. Uh, vga underscore set mode, and you can tell it the resolution and the pixel depth, or the color depth, whatever. Uh, and then you can set the color that you want to draw, and then you can draw a pixel at a certain location on that grid that you have just defined. So it's vga underscore. underscore set mode, and then something like, you know, like 320 by 200 by 256 or something. And then VGA underscore set color, uh, there's a whole list. 0 is black, 1 is blue, 2 is green, 3 is cyan, 4 is red, 5 is magenta, 6 is brown, 7 is gray, and so on up to 15. Uh, And then SVGA, or rather, uh, VGA underscore, uh, now that you set the color, underscore draw pixel, Parentheses wherever you want that to go. So you've got a grid of 320 by 200 So you could do like, you know, 15 comma 20 or something and that would draw a pixel on the screen For exactly, you know, like one millisecond or whatever like it would just flash on and then Disappear, um, but then you could do like a sleep or something and have it stay there for a little while um, And then you could exit and that would be more or less what you would do um and that would kind of work like that would draw you've just drawn a pixel on screen and see when compiling it of course you need to link to the library itself so that's dash l vga it's not svga it's just dash l vga took me ages to <laughs> figure that out when i was playing around with this over the past week because i just wanted to make it svga every single time and um it turns out if i just scrolled down a little bit more on the very, very good documentation, it would have told me exactly what to type. Now, the the problem is, though, that after I finally got everything more or less working, uh, it took over... It, it like, killed my... I think it killed my X session entirely, and just dumped me into a console, and I couldn't... I was completely without keyboard controls for no good reason. Waited the obligatory five seconds for it to, like, return me to some... some kind of prompt, never did. Didn't paint the red pixel that I had put in, so I don't know exactly what went wrong there, um, but yeah, it did not, it did not work for me, so, be careful when you're doing this, I guess, is, is the lesson there, like, this, uh, this, this is really low-level stuff, and you're, you're, you're controlling graphics, and if you do something wrong, you can, you can, you can temporarily mess up your session, so just, be mindful of that, be be careful. But otherwise, I mean, if you know what you're doing, um, and you just want to paint some, some pixels onto your screen, SVGA lib is not a bad option. And even if you're just playing around with C, and you just want to make some, some interesting, you know, art or something, I mean, this could be fun to, to mess around with as well. Um, this, I mean, this really is, like, this is how people programmed for a long time, like SVGA, painting pixels on screen. Like, this was, this was, like, legitimately, like, for a good, a good long time in computing history. This was, th- this was color, this was painting, this was everything you did on a computer, that's what this was. So, that's kind of cool to, to look at from a historical perspective but um you know the 0 through 15 color color scheme definitely definitely kind of you know retro um and kind of cool to see but yeah it's it's something to maybe look at with care you, you need to know what you're doing it's see don't just type stuff in and, and run things as root you know that 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 can break things or n- not seriously but it, it could screw up your session anyway okay last one in the s section is system config printer this is a CUPS printer administration tool. It is the um, a tool written in Python using PyGTK no less. And if you launch it, system config printer, you get um, a little print window. You may have seen this before. I always thought this was part of XFCE to be perfectly honest i knew that it wasn't uh the kde printer configuration but i be- because i probably because it uses pygtk i recognized it sort of as well a gtk application i could tell and and i thought well that must be from xfce because that's the only that's the only source of gtk really that i have on the system uh, for for system level stuff anyway um and And this is a fine little configurator. I, I it's not the one I use. I use the one in kDE um or sometimes I'll go to localhost colon uh, six thirty one. but generally, I just these days I, I find that I can do the the very few things that I need to do with a printer i I can just do it in the KDE thing. Um printing, I mean, you know, I want to say printing is just so sublimely simple now on, on Linux, and it kind of is. Sorry, I should revise that statement. I want to say, printing is so sublimely simple now on computers. Like, it doesn't have to be Linux, it's just, it should... Computers, modern computers and printers should be so much better than what they are. Like, it's just, it's such a disappointing technology, especially when you think about the fact that the GNU project literally got started after not being able to print. Like, that was the, the that was the impetus for coming up with the idea of freely available available software uh, that you share source code with one another was because a printer wouldn't interface with Richard Stallman's computer. Like, that's how long this printer issue has been and I mean these days I will admit like I I have this stupid laser printer that seems to be dying I replaced its toner and for like a good two days. It seemed to be fine But I guess I don't know it I guess not but I, I've got one in my office And I, I really need to get rid of it to be honest and get a new one. It's on my list to do Um, But I mean you I just plug it in and it's just it just pops up into my you know I don't I don't even remember adding it to my computer. I'm sure I did but it's just so easy it gets auto-detached detected by cups, you add it and you you can print to it. And and you don't even you don't need like the company's driver. You just can use the free drivers if you want. It's just so nice and of course there's HP lip or whatever on Slackware as well so you have a bunch of HP stuff anyway. It it is really really nice. Now there is still a printer out there and you, you will find it or I will find it when we least expect and it will completely elude configuration and it will be annoying and it will just make you hate computing and justifiably so, like that should never happen. The printing is not complex enough of a process to to cause problems for modern computers. Like, that should never happen. Drivers should not, there shouldn't be special drivers for printers. Like, these are all standardized, things that we could standardize. So it's just, it it is, it is a, it's largely a commentary on modern humanity on how bad printing is still in 2024. But CUPS is a great application and this little system config printer is exactly what you need it to be, when you need it to be. Like if you wanna add a printer, you launch this thing and you click the the add button and then it steps you through like how to find the 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 printer that you want. If it's networked, you've got a bunch of different options. If you know the generic URI, you've got options there, and so on. Typically, like I say, like, most of the time, honestly, printers are just auto-discovered by my computer, so it just doesn't even, like, if it's on my network, or or connect to it, connected to it through a USB, then it'll find it, and I can add it that way. It's so, so simple. So nice. Um, I, my, my partner actually had a she had a, they'd gotten a new printer at her workplace and she's running um a G- G- gnome desktop and on her on her laptop and she 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 was gonna ask me on the weekend to come in and help her you know set that up and I was up for it and instead uh you know the Friday before the day that I was supposed to do that she messaged me and said oh the printers just it just it's just it, it, it just it was just there it was just there in my when I went to print it was just there and that's how easy it is like that's how easy it is, and that's exactly what one wants. Now, I actually did have to go in and help configure it because it does need special drivers, as it turns out. Like it, you know, the auto discovery using a generic free driver got ninety percent of the way there, but there's like this one little ten percent thing for I don't know something like borderless printing or something that needs the special uh Fuji, Fuji Fujitsu uh, driver, I think, or was it Ricoh? or Xerox, I don't know, you know, so, so some stupid thing that, that actually, oh, by the way, we tricked you, you do need the special driver, it's very annoying, and I guess that's that's the thing, right, it's like, we, we th- these things don't actually need special <laughs> drivers, like, all of this could be a, an official specification for printers, and we could just make it work, we could just work, but that's, not what we're doing for some reason it's very annoying but this again <laughs> system config printer great little application i don't use it i just use the printer settings in kde but certainly if i was running xfce which i have to do soon so that i can be ready for the xfce uh software series that's coming up uh, eventually in this in this overview of all the packages installed with Slackware, um, then I would use this for sure. Yeah, this is great. This is a great little configuration application and cups. I mean, it makes it just so easy. Like whether you go through localhost colon 631 or whether you go through system config printer, it's just a really easy way to do the basics for your printer and make them appear on your computer. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, that's it. And and it's cool. How cool is it that it's written in Python and PyGTK, which which we mentioned like two episodes ago, PyGTK. Um and and of course we were talking about PyCute in this one, which is not PyGTK, but kind of the same thing over in the Cute world, obviously. It's just those Python bindings for for something that was written for C or yeah, C in in GTK. Okay. C++ in Qt's case, and it just makes it so simple for people to write these little interfaces, relatively simple, to write these simple little interfaces for for stuff that that that, that you know that everyone's gonna need. It's so great. Um, I mean, that's the kind of empowering. That's user empowerment. You know, like like people can just write these little interfaces. I think it, it still needs to be easier. I think. It's cool that a lot of people could do Python, PyGTK, GTK, whatever. But I, I just I wish it was just still yet a little easier. And and I know useful things could come of that. Um or a bunch of useless things. Either way, it would be stuff that people could do on their computers and share um, through maybe a semantic social desktop, who knows. Uh, so that's all the S's. So we're just down to the last, really, two screenfuls? So, yeah, it's not, not long, not not much longer in the L section at this point. We are getting very, very close to the N section, the networking section. Don't miss out. Keep coming back to this show every week so you can get past the L's and into the N's. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.